strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Appreciate you spending some time with the show. Jeff, I have a question for you before yes, you sir. leave. Um, that snowplow story. Name yes. the snowplow. Is there a prize connected to that? Uh, you know what? Let me. I, I don't think that they mentioned the that winner. there is. I'm going to give away the winning name right now. I would assume that they would give out a prize. See, I don't want to give it away if I could win a prize, but I've got the winning name. Because you said one of them was the big plow. Well, that was one that in, had, another state. In, in another state. We call it Scoop Dog. <laughs> uh, Scoop doggy dog. Yeah, Why that not? would work. See, I think it's going to win. Someone's going to submit it. It's going to win, and everybody heard it here first. That's impressive too, because between you and me, how many snowplows have we seen in our lifetime? That's not many, man. I was <laughs> yeah. raised in Florida, and I've been here a long. And I'm time. a native of Venus. <laughs> if they name that thing Scoop Dog, and I don't get, I don't get a shout out, I'm going to be angry. Um, all right, so let's get to some serious business. What happens? What happens if the Republicans take over the House and or the Senate. It, conflicting stories back and forth, and I don't just mean politically. Uh, well, it's all politics, but it is, from my opinion, is it good or bad? But just re- reality, what happens? We know that the president is going to do as much as he can through executive action, and that is to the victor go the spoils. When you hold the executive branch, you hold the power that goes with the executive branch. There are limitations on that power, as it should be. There are many times that presidents have pushed too far with executive actions, and the Supreme Court has pushed back. But there is still a lot of power and flexibility in that office. But as far as legislation goes and budgets, it would look dramatically different, which is another thing why I think um, on its face for the people. This is just a little side note in the my political brain that goes on for the people in Arizona and around the country that are furious at Senator Cinema because she stands up and says we cannot we should not. And I will not be a part of getting rid of the filibuster, which has outraged her party locally and around the country. Um, including including the experts on the view um, boy, uh, what that what she is doing also is protecting her party because they're going to need the filibuster if this changes if they change hands in the United States Senate. And the minority party has used this some version of the filibuster for a very long time. We have a simple majority in the House, that huge body, simple majority. You have a one-member majority. The Democrats control all the committees, including the speaker who says what bills go to what committees and what gets to the floor for a vote. It's a big – that's a lot of power. And with that, all you have to do is maintain your caucus – And you win every bill gets out of the House with just a simple majority. If you do that in the Senate, you're going to have big power swings. That's always been my what I've maintained and what I've heard from other people that have served in the Senate. The ability for the minority party to demand debate and to demand changes so that things are not radically done is necessary. So what happens now if the Republicans take over the House and they take over the Senate? And if in the meantime, the Democrats have gotten rid of the filibuster and the ability to filibuster. Now, you're going to have the power of the veto from the president of the United States. But do you think anything is going to get done that the president wants? It absolutely will not. Without any kind of debate, it's not going to happen. There's a story, and they've come out pretty often. Take them for what they're worth. 
What Senate seats are most likely to flip in 2022? The number one, the incumbent Pat Toomey is is, repire, is retiring. So there now, is it going to be Dr. Oz or is it going to be this guy Fetterman? And uh, we'll see. It, we will see which one happens there. The other is... Um, and it's Republican held right now. So it, it is one of the most likely to flip. Fetterman has been seen the leader in that race. In Nevada, there's an incumbent Democrat, Catherine Masto. But they're saying that is one that's in danger. In Georgia, Democrat Warnock may flip. Um, Wisconsin, a Republican. Arizona. Mark Kelly. I'm just going to read a little bit of what this says of the possibility of the flip here in Arizona. Now, what it's interesting is if you listen to the polls from what I've been hearing, Senator Kelly has a pretty wide lead. Now, I don't know that to be true or untrue. I'm just telling you the polling numbers we've seen. But uh, Blake Masters has been doing a pretty good job of getting out there. He's been on this show a number of times. I know that they are ramping up their, their presence on TV and radio. I know that they make a ton of appearances in public trying to get their message out. Will it be enough and that's what the question is going to be um Let's see. I'm just going to read very quickly. Democratic Senator Mark Kelly, who's running for a full six-year term after winning a 2020 special election, is still one of the most vulnerable Senate incumbents in in a state that has only recently grown competitive on a federal level. But Republican nominee Blake Masters is nowhere close to rivaling Kelly in fundraising, which is true. So you have to be a lot more strategic in what you do. Here's where my question lies. And and I don't mean this. I, I, I want you to know I don't mean this as criticism. I genuinely mean this as a question. Um, We have been very vocal in saying that we have invited and you know where I stand politically, but if you listen to the show, I don't ask gotcha questions of anyone. I am fair to everyone and I let them talk. Is it strategic and is it good strategy if it is that Senator Kelly will not come on this show and will not acknowledge that we've asked him to as far as I know? Uh, we've did a, we've done a series of TV shows. We did first the gubernatorial races on both sides of the aisle, and we've got all candidates from both sides of the aisle in the primary, including Katie Hobbs, the Secretary of State, to do the TV show. So they were so successful that um, – and I, I'm not saying it to brag, but they were very well-received, and I'm very happy about that. Just an informative show, a lot different than this show. Lot, no opinion, by the way. I have no opinion on that show. I bring candidates in. I ask them a series of questions. I don't push back on their answers, and it's just a chance for you to hear where a candidate says they stand on issues. No pushback, just Ask them the questions. It was so successful that we decided to do it with all of the statewide races and a bunch of the issues. One of the shows that we did was the gubernatorial race. And again, Katie Hobbs, the secretary of state, came in and did the interview in that setting for the TV show. The only person that never acknowledged our request was Senator Kelly. And I want to be clear about that, not as a slam to Senator Kelly. This could be completely strategic. I certainly don't believe that Mark Kelly is afraid to come on my show. I don't believe that at all. It's strategic and for whatever reason. But in your mind, is that a good strategy? Is it a good strategy to not? Because I'm going to have Blake Masters on this show often. I'm going to have Carrie Lake on this show often. We have invited the Secretary of State on. We've invited Ms. Hobbs on the show. Um, and verbally, when I was face-to-face with her, she committed to coming on. We have reached out now multiple times to her people. We have not gotten a response back about coming on this show. I hope she will. I believe you deserve to hear from these candidates about where they stand on issues. And uh, I, the invitation is always open to Senator Kelly. I would love to have him on the show. I would love to be able to ask him his positions on issues, how he feels about things, why he voted ways he's voted 
and things of that nature. Will it happen? I can't promise that. But I want you to know that I'm committed to having people on from both sides of the aisle. I'm fair with everyone, and I want to have them on. The offer is extended. We'll see how this all plays out. Coming up in a moment, we get you caught up on the biggest news stories of the day. It's a segment we call Did You Hear This? It's coming up in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Let's catch you up on a very busy news day. Did you hear this? Did you hear this? Broomhead's reaction to the hottest news stories. New Bureau of Labor Statistics numbers were released this morning, and they show signs that the labor market may be cooling. The number of job openings in the economy at the end of August dropped by 10%. Are businesses becoming more cautious due to recession fears? Yeah, I think so. I think that what before, when you saw how quickly things were growing and people were trying to hire and money was getting was very good and people were out there spending, I think many people were willing to spend more money, which caused production of goods to go up and desire for goods to go up, which led to the inflation. But businesses now are... Are seeing people are not spending as much manufacturing is going to start dropping off and they're taking a more cautious approach i would not call this a big step backwards but they certainly are treading lightly you can see that in the stock market although it's gone up over the last two days it's been a steady decline over the last year and let's hope that the worst is over and we can start climbing out of this hole the san francisco board of supervisors passed a measure meant to help police with surveillance efforts The measure would create a one-year pilot program to allow police to monitor private video feeds with the owner's consent within a 24-hour period in three types of situations. During a life-threatening emergency, to redeploy officers during a mass event, and during criminal investigations. Proponents say this could help communities stay safe, while critics disagree, saying it infringes on First Amendment rights. Where do you stand on this? Well, first of all, if it's it has to be with homeowners' consent, so I don't. It's not infringing on someone's rights if they consent to it, that, and that, so that part of it. But I do. I, my concern is the same thing that happened with the Patriot Act, and is that it started out as a program surveilling foreign nationals from countries known on the terror watch list using certain language, and what it turned into seemed to be a mass, uh, just a dragnet of information that concerned a lot of people in the U.S. So that is a concern for me. If in my neighborhood I was asked if they could look at my, if they could use my data or have access to mine with Phoenix PD, I wouldn't have an issue with it. I know that sounds so strange, but then again, you don't know what they'll do without it. So I understand both sides of this issue. If you don't give them consent, or if you give them consent under certain circumstances, could they or would they abuse that privilege? And I guess it's all personal. For me, in the city of Phoenix, I would probably say yes on this, even though I might regret it. You are listening to Did You Hear This? We do it every day at this time to get you caught up on the headlines. Gas prices are climbing again. The price of gas nationally rising for a third consecutive week, up seven cents since last week to three seventy-eight a gallon. The biggest increase in California, where the average price of gas rose nearly sixty cents in just the past week to six dollars twenty-one cents a gallon. Who is to blame for another rise in fuel costs? It's it's a mixed bag. We know that OPEC has decided that oil was dropping too low, so OPEC decided to reduce production, which drives off drives up the barrel price of a barrel of oil. We also have refinery issues. 
with refineries breaking down in California, not being up to date. That's one of the reasons why diesel fuel has stayed so high. So there's a multitude of reasons that this is happening. It also goes back to, in my opinion, policies of this administration that have not made it possible for oil companies to act as swiftly as they possibly could to drill and to continue exploring and to get financing. It is harder to do all of the above, puts a strain on the industry, drives up prices. Look what it's not just oil. Coal has gone through the roof. Natural gas has gone through the roof. All of these things are adding up to huge expenses to the average American family. GOP candidate for governor, Carrie Lake, joined the show today and discussed how she would improve Arizona's housing crisis. We want to make it easier to build homes. We want to get people to where uh, the home builders can get the shovel in the ground quicker. And we're going to be pushing some policy to do that. Could these policies help with the housing sure. problem? I think that, you know, what people don't understand that haven't been in the construction world, there is a two sides of this coin. And one is we want to build homes quickly. The other is we want to make sure that we're building those homes safely and that it's good quality construction. And you can end up doing both. You have to have municipalities that work with the county administrators and the people that have the county requirements as well. You've got to streamline the zoning process and you have to tell investors that would invest in these programs, you can invest and we can get shovels in the ground a lot quicker so your investment dollar isn't going in now and you're not seeing any results of that investment for five, six years down the road. If we can do that, we can expedite a lot of this. The other issue then becomes how do we find the labor force to build these projects? You got to solve both problems. Yeah, we may talk a little bit more about that before it's over. I've been uh, pretty blessed to be in the construction industry most of my life. I did not have a major company, but I have worked on homes. I've worked on multifamily dwellings and building them and remodeling them. And I've worked in the commercial and industrial industry. So I have enough of a picture of all of it to have a little bit of an opinion. But uh, most recently, I have been working or I've been uh, speaking with groups. I spoke to a group at Westpac Construction, which is a major construction company here, and talked with their people and have been in touch with them. And they're such a great resource. And the Arizona Masonry Commission and doing work with them and, and speaking to their award ceremony and watching some of the coolest architectural and, and uh, masonry work in the state of Arizona and learning from them about the challenges in their industry as well. So we may talk about that a little bit more before the show is over. But what we're going to do next is talk about inflation and now what my concerns have been about the job market cooling off. Are there indicators of that? I'll give you the details next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. The Bureau of Labor Statistics put out a report today about the labor market, job openings, and labor turnover. So it was an interesting um, what happened, what they expected. Earlier this morning, there was a report of what the expe- expectations were when this report came out. So this is what they said before. Economists expect the number of job openings will continue to far outpace new hires as employers struggle to fill positions. With the unemployment rate near a record low, the labor market has remained resilient, even as workers and businesses feel the pain of higher inflation. But with the Federal Reserve aggressively raising interest rates to try to tame inflation, some economists expect businesses might be forced to lay off more workers. The monthly jobs report out Friday will give the latest read of the official unemployment rate. 
So how close were they to reality? This is what ended up happening and what they said once the report came out later on in the morning. In a sign the labor market might be cooling, the number of job openings in the economy at the end of August dropped by 10 percent. The data released by the Bureau of Labor Statistics could indicate businesses are growing slightly more cautious amid recession fears. But the underlying jobs market remains strong, with layoffs near historically low levels and the number of workers quitting their jobs for new opportunities still high. So the good news is uh, we are seeing that job the job market remains strong, although they are seeing a cooling off. Uh, over the last couple of days, the Dow Jones, the NASDAQ, and the S&P have all grown again. It's a two-day trend which bucks the trend that has been happening for a while now. Now, will it continue on this pace? We don't know, um, but it is a better sign. So the Dow is up as we speak. The Dow is up 669, 669 points as we speak. And uh, that's good compared to where it was a few days ago. The, the other day, I believe on Friday, it closed below 29,000. And that's, uh, I mean, that is amazing. Uh, it was like 28,715 is what I think it closed at. Um, and then now it's up over 30,000. So that's, that is a good sign, uh, at least in the short term. NASDAQ is up almost 3%. Uh, that's good, up 314 points. And uh, so there's a good indicator there, but what long term is happening? Because we are hearing the signs of inflation are not going away. The bare necessities that people need. Food prices continue to climb. We don't see an end in sight to any of that. We also understand that when it comes to fuel prices, not just gasoline and diesel fuel, but fuel for other things. How do you heat your home? Natural gas prices, coal prices going up dramatically. It is going to be a long winter for people. And so when we argue, and I do this often on the air, I'm guilty of this, and I say we, and I mean we, when we argue about politics of things, I am in a position – being single, I don't have to worry about kids, although I have kids I worry about. They're adults, and they're caring and worrying about their children. When you're concerned, when you go to the store and you have a budgeted amount of money that you can spend for food and you have a large family to feed, it becomes terrifying. Um, I've talked often about my close contact with United Food Bank, St. Mary's Food Bank, St. Vincent de Paul, and so many other organizations that do an excellent job of helping people that are hungry. And on different levels, a lot of times it is people that are on the streets that are looking for a warm meal. Um, There are people, though, that are stuck in a situation where they've never asked for help before. I just those are the people I can't get out of my mind. I can't get the people out of my mind that work hard and they're looking at each other, the adults in the house and saying, how do we make ends meet that we have rent to pay or a mortgage? We have, uh, you know, we have to pay for our housing. Uh, We've got to put gas in the vehicle or vehicles to get to work and we got to feed the kids. And something's got to give here because we don't have enough to do all of them before payday. So you're putting gas on a credit card that you understand is going to cost you so much down the road or food on a credit card. Or then you end up going to a place like St. Mary's Food Bank and getting an emergency food box. And you think to yourself, you know, I work. I'm not a lazy person. And and the misconception that hunger and laziness go hand in hand, that's not always the case. Circumstances change for people. And I hope we all have learned that lesson. I certainly have. Um, There are a lot of things you could say about my family, and you'd be right about a lot of them. And they could be negative in a lot of cases. Laziness is not one of them. And um, to see someone in a circumstance 
where they are working and being as self-sufficient as they can and due to the circumstances in front of them, they're not able to feed themselves fully or feed the people around them, the people they care about, the people they are charged with caring for. It makes me sad to even talk about. Uh, and so these are the changes I wish, is, I wish we could make. I, I wish we could have a conversation that comes from that place. It, it does turn political because it's political ideology that leads the way. I'm going to talk about housing in a few minutes, and there's two political schools of thought of how to fix the issue of housing in the state of Arizona. And I, I, I think that looking at them side by side to me as an experiment is fascinating to see what two political schools of thought think think about the same issue, but they largely end up winding up being the same thing, and that is this. One side of the political aisle believes more in government, more government involvement is the answer to the problem, and the other side of the, of the coin says less government involvement. Get out of the way and let people do what they do best. That's the ideology that I subscribe to. When it comes to this, I feel the same way. That I understand that we want clean air and we want clean water and a clean earth and we want all of those things. And I wish we would give each other the benefit of the doubt in saying that we all want that. And then argue about what the right way to get there is. But instead, we have this ridiculous argument that when I say the EPA is overregulating and they are going after the fossil fuel industry and regulating it far too much. The tribes are now complaining that on their lands where people, where the fossil fuels, whether it's coal or oil, are being extracted from the tribal lands and they are making money off of this, the tribes are saying to the federal government, stop doing what you're doing because you're killing us financially and we're actually doing this the right way. We are responsible for the land. We we hold the land sacred and we would never allow anybody to destroy the land, to defile the land and they're not. We are doing this the right way. So getting the government out of the way and allowing these companies to do what they do, I think it gives us a better chance to drive down prices and be successful. That's my position on this. When you look at its oil and its coal and its natural gas and it's all of these resources that are going through the roof and how it coincides with policy, you can – and you're absolutely right to say don't forget about Russia and Ukraine. You're right. Russia and Ukraine are a big part of all of this. But they are – we were having a huge rise in costs long before that, that came along. And it has to do with the policies of this administration. So are there – and you don't have to agree with me. I mean obviously there are a lot of people that listen to this show that don't agree with me on anything. But why wouldn't you ask yourself, are there policy changes that this president could and therefore should make that would ease the burden going into this winter for heating and cooling your homes so that people have more money to feed their families? Without compromising your principles on global warming or climate change. It's a fair question. And if those policies, if there's policies there that are, should be uh, changed, what are they? I think it's a great thing to talk about. There is a, an affordable housing crisis in the state of Arizona, and we talked with Kerry Lake, gubernatorial candidate, about solutions from the governor's office. I've got a story in front of me that some legislators and potential legislators, candidates for the legislature, what they say their ideas are to easing this. And it's a pretty diverse idea of what could be done. I'll give you details of both coming up here in just a couple of moments.
strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, a few minutes left here on the show before we close it out. We want to be about solutions or at least ideas more than just complaining all the time. And we know that there's a housing crisis in Arizona. We are seeing multifamily dwellings going up. And I mean, apartment complexes, condominiums, some of those master planned. Uh, I don't know what you call them. The housing developments are going in. I live in the Arcadia area. And uh, I tell everyone the neighborhood I live in, I live really close to the nice restaurants, but the police helicopter still flies over my house. That's kind of the part of town I'm in. And I like it there. That's right where I belong. And um, if you go anywhere in Arcadia, if you're on 44th Street between McDowell and Camelback, there is a lot of construction going on. If you go on 32nd Street between McDowell and Camelback, there is a huge amount of construction that continues to go on. And I think it's a great thing. Um, I like to see the expansion and the growth and the beautiful buildings they're building. They're doing them very – they're building them very well. But what answers our housing crisis? And it's very interesting to hear the disparity. Um, one of them, I want you to hear Carrie Lake, Gary, uh, uh, candidate for governor. I was asking her about this housing crisis and what we do and what we don't want. But you don't have a lot of control when the feds come in and put up low-income housing right in the middle of a suburban neighborhood. I understand um, that concern for a lot of people, and I'm really opposed to the feds coming in and doing that. We can handle how we want to build in our own neighborhoods and in our own communities. So that was a perspective from a gubernatorial candidate. Now, there's a there's a story that's uh, AZ Central, and it interviews a couple of candidates and some incumbents in districts in the legislature. And it, uh, to give you kind of the overview of where they are. The Republicans are talking about incentivizing and and getting rid of a lot of the red tape. That's one of the things that Carrie Lake alluded to, doing things with zoning so that it's easier to get these projects up and running. Um, and the other side has got a little bit more involvement with the government, and they should be doing this, and we should be doing that. And I will tell you from my own personal um, perspective how it's supposed to work. Um when I was, I'm going to give you an example from the city of Phoenix. I did a lot of work in Phoenix, but this pertains to any city in the valley. They each have their own uh, their own d- development department, and they are the ones that come out and do your inspections. As an electrician, there's a bunch of different inspections: a ceiling inspection, a walls inspection, a roof inspection, final inspection, all of these other things to make sure you're doing things according to the National Electrical Code. And uh, the way it worked when you have a rapport, when you have a, see an inspector fairly often. And they're good inspectors. They really are. Uh, The inspectors come out to a job site. Let's say you have a walls inspection, which means everything that's going to be covered up by drywall. They want to make sure everything inside that wall is strapped according to code, that it's not going to rattle when the doors slam, that you're using appropriate uh, materials, that it looks good, using proper workmanship. So they come out and they find a violation. They say you missed a strap here or this happened or you're missing this. And many times what they'll say is, all right, I'm going to pass it. Make sure you fix it. I'm going to pass it, and I'll check it when I come back. And they'll write it in red pen on the plans that they've got to check this one thing when they come back. They come back. They check it. They've allowed you to continue construction. They haven't slowed you down, and they've gone on, and you've kept your word and fixed the violation that they found. That's the way good inspectors work. Why? Because they want the project to continue quickly to get on to the next project without slowing you down, without compromising quality. Now, if they ask you to do something and they tell you, get this done and I'm going to check it when I come back, they allow you to continue construction and you don't fix it. Now you've created an issue. Now they're going to be a lot less likely to work with you. 
Well, that's in the field. When it comes into the planning and design phase, architects work with engineers and how this is going to be built. And you work with people at the city and you work with people at the county and you try to get these plans to review and you try to get through zoning and get this project approved. And all of these things with lawyers and everyone else, with no offense to them, they are essential parts of these projects. They have nothing to do with shovels in the ground and building the project. It's everything to do with planning and zoning and design, and it eats up a huge amount of money, and it makes these building projects go through the roof as far as expense goes, and it delays the start and finish of those projects. So you have venture capitalists out there that are always looking for ways to invest money, to have their money working for them instead of just sitting there. And when you go to a venture capitalist and you say, hey, listen, we are talking about a a multifamily project of 400 apartments right in the Arcadia area, and we would love for you to be a part of this project. Well, that's great. I'd love to be a part of it. What am I going to get for my investment? What's your percentage? And you talk about the money. The other question is, okay, when do I start seeing a return on my money? Because if you're telling me I'm going to write you a check for millions of dollars and I'm going to wait five or six years for you to break ground, I'm not putting my money in there. I'm going to wait. So there is a lot here to it, and I think we can work legislatively and with regulatory agencies to make sure we build things correctly, but streamline the process, get out of the way, let the people that invest invest, let the people that design design, and let the people that build build. That's going to be the fastest way out of this, along with a way to attract a labor force that can do the work when the plans come out. That's the other trick. We'll talk about that in the coming days of a guest worker program or other things we can do with our CTEDs, our trade schools as they're called, and getting a qualified workforce out there making really good money and building the homes we also desperately need. You hear the music? Just about out of time. Um, I'll be back uh, tomorrow morning at around 8 o'clock. I hope you can join me at Broomhead KTAR on Twitter and Mike Broomhead, all one word on Instagram. Best way to keep in touch between shows. We'll be back tomorrow morning. Thanks for spending part of your day here. So until tomorrow, God bless.